This morning we're going to continue on in the book of Habakkuk. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ryan Graydon. I'm one of the members here at Stonebridge Church, I'm one of the elders. And, uh, and occasionally I get a chance to, to teach and preach, and it's something I love to do. Um, but this morning we're still tackling the tough book of Habakkuk and learning what it means to kind of still have faith through tough situations. I want to begin by telling you a story, a, a little bit about me. And, and I want this story to, to kind of lead you back to my high school years when I met this girl. She was awesome. We met at church camp, senior high week. And, and it soon became very easy to see that we, were, we just clicked. And you guys, for the next two years, that friendship grew. We were best friends, just hanging out when we had time. And, and through those two years, God started to change my heart. And, and I remember the day he said, hey, this might be the one. And so I had the guts to finally ask her to date. I asked her parents. Her parents responded with, Ryan, what took you so long? And, uh, and I knew I had their blessing. And so we began to date. A few years of, of dating, uh, God again hit me up the side of the head and said, this is the one. And so I proposed to her and she said yes for the second time. And about a year later, we were married. And I've been married to my wife 18 years. But I remember when I made that promise, it struck me that I've made this promise to, to take care of their, uh, this woman, to, to meet her needs as a husband. And it, and it frankly put me in a position that I had to grow up. Maybe some of you men understand that. Remember those times? We saw the need uh, for me to, to take on some more hours. We had bills I had never had to pay before. And at the same time, you guys, I was a full-time student at Iowa State University taking 12 to 15 credits a semester working full-time. It was hard, but it wasn't impossible. I worked hard as as I could, I, I earned some promotions at a job that I had, and I had a leadership role in the workplace. And I enjoyed working with these, these people, my fellow co-workers. I helped them when they needed help. We had conversations about life, and, and I did my best to care for them as their leader in my workplace. Fast forward, it was our first anniversary, and I found out that I was going to be a daddy. Now, that wasn't in our plans, you know. We thought I'd get done with college and have children. It wasn't in our plans, but, but nonetheless, I eagerly prepared for the new task that was going to come in about nine months later. I knew life was going to get tougher. Our first daughter, Riley, was born. I was so close to finishing college. And by my calculations, I knew that, that if I really squeeze things in, I could finish school in two semesters, one more year of school. Uh, if I loaded up on classes and schedule them outside of my work schedule and study my tail off, I could get passing grades and finish college. So I talked to my wife and we decided that, that this crazy potential schedule was the best choice for us. And for the next nine months, my schedule was this. I would work from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., and then I would go take classes from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., loading up at 21 credits a semester. And then I would go home and study from about 9 p.m. to midnight or 1 o'clock, and then I'd do it all over again. 
For nine months, I did that. It was tough, but we made it. And God rewarded me with a, a great job in Des Moines that was, that was good pay, pay enough that my wife didn't have to work. So I started in this managerial position in Des Moines with a home health care company. And, and my job was to, to manage the people who went into the homes and took care of our patients. I had about 125 certified nurses' aides that I managed, as well as about 75 registered nurses. And, and each day they would go in and care for people who needed care. Every day I would commute from Ames to Des Moines, work a full day. We had a tight budget, but we made it work. And, 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 and at that point in our life, we, we put a lot of money back into paying off debt. We thought that was right. But fast forward again, just a few, two years after I started this job, I realized it was not the job that I dreamed of. You see, I, I was working in a big city. And I was working in an industry that was very bottom line. And what that meant was that my job was to make sure that, that my department made as much money as we could at, at the end of the month. I cared for employees and patients, but my boss cared for the bottom line and the buck. As you can imagine, that led to some confrontations when it came to management of those who worked under me. You see, I understood that their life led them to be hard workers. Some of these were single moms with four or five children, and they're trying to get their kids to school, so they might be a few minutes late to an appointment. And I could understand that. But my superior didn't feel that way. And confrontations between her and I began to happen concerning the treatment of our workers. You see, I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, knowing that they were hardworking people, knowing about their lives and what they were struggling with and dealing with. But my boss didn't see it that way, and it led to my termination. I've never felt more defeated in my life. I was a man who thought I was doing everything right. I worked hard to get a good job, and I, and I had that good job to take care of my family, and now I had a wife and two daughters at this time. And what just happened? I remember thinking, did this, did this really happen to me? I couldn't believe that. And the thoughts of it's not fair began to ring out of my mind and my heart. Did they know that my patients were still happy with their care? Did she even know that, that these people were, were working hard even though there was little mistakes of arriving a few minutes late? Why was I being punished for trying to do the right thing for people? It's not fair. That was what I thought. And by our human understanding, I think many of you might say the same thing. There wasn't much right about that situation. See, those moments, we as Christians often find ourselves asking, and even non-Christians, how can a God, a loving God, allow something like this to happen? Why, why didn't he punish those who deserved it? Why did he let the better person take the punishment. 
It's not just situations like this in life that we begin to ask those questions about. Losing a loved one. Tragedies in relationships. Marriages. Tragedies in jobs. Our health. Our financials. And there's more out there that lead us to ask the question, why would a loving God do this? Allow this. It just doesn't seem right. And maybe we go so far as to say, is God even fair? That's the cry of some of the people in our culture right now. This morning we find ourselves at this very point in the passage of Habakkuk. Last week, Joy did an amazing job introducing the book and and even going into the prophet's first complaint, which was the the complaint about the injustice injustice and the lack of acknowledgement by God's people of God. You see, the Judeans didn't want to turn towards God. And crimes and violence began to be the norm. And Habakkuk was looking at God and saying, how long are you going to let this happen? To which God answered him, I have a plan in motion. And he begins to reveal to Habakkuk that that he's going to use the Chaldeans to punish Judah, which was a really horrible people. And if you were measuring the Judeans and the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans were so much worse than the Judeans. That's how Habakkuk saw it. And this leads us to where we are today. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, please take them out and read along with me. We're going to start in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. And this is Habakkuk's second complaint, Scripture says, to God. And he starts in verse 12 by saying, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? You guys, he acknowledges who God is. He knows. He knows how great God is. He knows that God is outside the boundaries of time. He has been and always will be here. He knows how big he is. He goes on to say, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He's looking at these Chaldeans and he's saying, what, God, what are you doing? Why? These are horrible people. Why use them to bring judgment on Judah? He goes on to even... even Kind of tell God this isn't fair by by comparing the Judeans uh, in this situation. He says in verse 14, you make mankind like the fish of the sea. Like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings them all up with a hook. He's talking about the Chaldeans and he drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For that yet by them he lives luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. 
See, Habakkuk is saying, these people do this all the time. They're rich, they're wealthy. They conquer, they annihilate, and they don't, you don't do anything. How is that fair? But God answers in verse 2. It says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God is saying, look, it's coming. My plan's not going to stop because of the questions you're asking. It's coming. I will do what I need to do. He goes on to tell him in verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up and it's not upright within him. You see, God knows who the Chaldeans are. He's not, he's not unaware of it. He knows that they're kind of high in themselves. But then he reminds Habakkuk with the second half of that verse. He says, But the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. He's calling him to the line. Welcome to the mind of a modern man. Just because this was written thousands of years ago doesn't mean that we're any different. You see, in our world, it's all about fairness. Even if you or I were the most righteous person out there, I'm sure that there, were still, there would still be moments in our lives where we would say, that's not fair. Parents, how often do you hear your children say that? Mom, that's not fair. Or, or Dad, that's not fair. You see, it's something that we don't have to be taught in life. It sweeps into our being and we begin to live by the expectation that life should be fair. Right? That sure would make life easier if things were just evened out and everybody was treated fairly in all ways of life. Fairness for all sounds good and that would be the ideal situation for all of us. Well, I've got news for you. I'm going to share a phrase with you that you've probably heard in your life before, and maybe you can repeat it with me. You see, when I grew up, and I said, that's not fair, my parents would respond with three simple words. Life's not fair. It's not. That's the truth of it. It's not, nor will it ever be fair according to us. Habakkuk just got done asking God, what's he going to do with his people? They have turned from him again, and now there's evil lurking everywhere. And the prophet asks, how are you going to fix this, God? To which God replies a just reply and says, I will destroy it. And I'm going to use an evil people to do it. I gather from the text that that's not the answer Habakkuk was expecting. I think that he was hoping for a more righteous judge 
to come and deliver judgment on the people of Judah. Instead, God answered that he was going to use a more wicked people to judge the people of Judah. How does that make sense? You see, if you or I were in a courtroom and say we were there because we are defending a speeding ticket, you wouldn't expect the judge sitting there giving judgment to be maybe a thief or a murderer. That wouldn't be right. You see, he was worse than us, yet he's declaring judgment on us. In our human understanding, we would say, that's not fair. And that's what's tormenting this prophet of God right now. Why would you use a more wicked people to punish a less wicked people? You see, it wasn't a question of who God was. You know, Habakkuk knows well whom he's speaking to. And you see that, as I mentioned in verse 12, where he's saying that God is everlasting. He's been kind of there all the time and he knows he's holy. He knows exactly who he's speaking to when he shares his complaints. He knows that God is outside of the limitations of time and man. And the prophet understands that, but he also understands that God is not going to tolerate evil and wrong. Therefore, he knows that God sees what's going on, not only in Judah, but also with the Chaldeans. And he knows that God knows. But again, what Habakkuk is struggling with is why is God allowing this to happen? Why use a wicked people to destroy his home, his his people, his friends, his field that, that maybe he was hoping would be one day ripe for harvest. God, Habakkuk is wondering, when will all of this start, God, and how long will you allow it to happen? He's knowing, he knows that the Chaldeans lived off the success of their wars. Why would God do this? God does answer his prophet. He makes known that the Chaldeans will receive their due punishment. In fact, we'll see some of that in the chapters to come. He knows that these people are wicked. He knows that they destroy and they're never satisfied with enough. He's God. He knows this. Nothing can be hidden from him. He has knowledge of everything, you guys, that's happening. Although he doesn't have to explain himself to Habakkuk, God takes time to tell him that he will deal with them too. And in the process, he puts Habakkuk right back in his place, reminding him in verse 4 of chapter 2, but the righteous shall live by faith. This phrase in Habakkuk 2.4 is believed to be by most biblical scholars one of the most important phrases in the scriptures. The righteous shall live by his faith. It's quoted three additional times in the New Testament, twice by Paul. In Romans 1.17 it reads, for in the gospel, the righteousness, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
In Galatians 3.11 it reads, Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. And then in Hebrews 10.38 it says, But my righteousness... By my righteousness, one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. The righteous shall live by his faith. What does that look like? What does it look like for you and I? It is said that that this verse is a verse that revealed the gospel message to Martin Luther back in 1513. And it led... For him, led him to leave the church and declare his articles of faith. And then it led to the Protestant Reformation, which had a major influence of what you and I believe today. This verse is important. The righteous will live by his faith. See, Habakkuk was a man much like us. And he was stuck in a tough... T- excuse me, tough spot, with many questions aimed towards God. He wanted answers. He wanted fairness. He wanted God to fix the unjust. And he wanted to know when this was all going going to happen, to which God did not answer the way Habakkuk wanted him to. What Habakkuk heard God say is, I'm sovereign. I know what's happening. I will do what I know is best. Judah. And I will do it in my timing. And he reminds Habakkuk to be faithful to what he knows about the God he serves and be content with that. Even among the chaos that is about to to happen. Be content in this chaos. So where does that leave us? When we are in situations that we have not the answer for, what should be our reaction? When we see injustice, what should our reaction be? When we want God to fix what's happening, what should we truly understand about who God is and what He will do? First, and most important, I think we need to believe Truly believe and understand that God is sovereign. Sometimes I think we put him in a box. But that's not who he is. If you've read the scriptures, you know very well, despite everything that's happening now and will happen, who wins in the end. Amen? So check yourself from time to time. And I am along with you. When we think the world is coming to an end and we selfishly and pridefully demand that God do something to fix it, have you ever thought maybe He is? Maybe we need to remember that we serve a just and holy God who is not blind to what is going on in our culture, our world, and our history. Maybe we need to trust that He knows what is best in all situations. Maybe we have to come to grips that we aren't the answer to all things. And we have to stop thinking that the world revolves around us. All he is asking is that we know and believe that he is doing what he needs to do 
for his glory. Second, I think we need to realize that we are a pretty, pretty pathetic people at best. If you or I can sit in this congregation or, or in an office of your co-workers or maybe even amongst your family members and point fingers at the people that we think deserves God wrath, God's wrath, we best be making sure that that thumb is pointing back at us. We're not an exception. We are utterly unable to do anything without the will and the strength of the Creator. We often think that it's our job to fix things that need fixing. We get worked up and we pick sides and we cause divide even as Christians. And we sit and wonder why life is not peaceful. You guys, we've done it to ourselves. And then we sit there and we have the guts to look back at God and say, why don't you fix the situation? Really? Maybe we need to realize how miserable we are and count our blessings and know that we have a God who loves us and cares for us despite our faults and failures. Our job is not to worry about the injustice as if God doesn't see it. Our job is not to pick sides. Our job is not to cause divide. Our job is not to sit and stir the pot as Christians. Our job is to share the gospel and the message of salvation and faith that God is love and He has our best interests in mind. That He loves a broken people despite their brokenness. Does that mean that we don't do our parts to help those in need? Absolutely not. Scripture calls us to care for others and be concerned with their well-being. In Philippians 2.4 it says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. Proverbs 21.13 says, He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. You guys, is it our job to just say, Well, you are there because you're there and we're just going to let do, God do what He wants to do? No. Recab a few weeks ago spoke here and said, Man, just sit in a puddle with somebody. I remember talking to Andrea in a time where Joey was in the hospital. She didn't know what was going on. She said she just laid there on the floor. And what meant most to her was a friend that just laid there with her. Is there injustice? Yeah. Should we be aware of it? Yeah. But we should act out of love, kindness, and humility sharing the gospel of Christ and being Christ-like in all of it. If we understand the gospel and the person who Jesus was, our hearts should hurt for those who need him and a culture that needs him. And caring in those ways should be the overflow of what we believe. And no matter what the direction or situation goes, we should be willing to walk alongside them to the very end. Trusting that God is doing what is best. 
That's the tough part. I'm not sure where you are in life. I'm not sure where you are in your Christian walk or even if you have an understanding of what it means to be a Christian. You might be sitting here this morning with all kinds of questions for God and I want you to know that it's okay to have questions. You're not any less of a person or a Christian if you have questions for God. And you're certainly not any less of a person if you have no idea what it looks like or means to follow Christ. You see, Scripture says that God isn't waiting for a perfect person to follow Him. He meets us where we're at. He meets me where I'm at. And there's no level that you have to obtain of perfectness or goodness until God can come into your life. He wants everybody to walk in faith. Romans 1, 20 to 21 tells us our position compared to God. It says this, for the creation of the world, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are, are clearly seen. God is everywhere. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead. But here's where humans come in. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful. And instead became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. God's loving people all the time. It's us that get in the way. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, God knows how we are. He knows we're imperfect. He knows that we're a sinful people. And yet he still comes after us. Romans 5.8 reminds us of his love. Even though we're so bad, he says, but God demonstrates his love in this. Yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You guys, we should have been walking down that path to the cross. And instead, God stepped in, pushed us back and said, Jesus, my son is going to do this for you. does that my God does Romans 6.23 says this for the wages of sin is death and I'm not saying that as a scare tactic you guys please understand God will do what he wants to do and this book tells us how it's all going to end The penalty for sin, even just one, is death and eternal separation from Christ. But the gift that's given to us is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Scripture says, be faithful, follow me. Understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ it's, it's a gift. You don't have to obtain a certain level in order to get it. All you got to do is confess that Jesus was the Son of God, that He died on a cross for a sinful people, and He rose again. And if you believe that truly happened for you, 
God says, welcome to the family. He knows you're not perfect. He knows a decision like that doesn't make you perfect for the rest of your life. But He does love me. So do we want peace amidst the chaos? Do you want to see God work things out for His glory? Do you want to understand more about who God is? Then I ask and and, and even challenge you guys, let's you and I step out of the way. Because that's where the problem is. And be humble before God. And know that we understand it's not always fair. But because of our faith, we will follow. Let's pray. Father, I've